I worked for the Phoenix Fire Department and I had a, a really good friend that I went to high school with and um, we worked at the same station together and he had recently kind of rediscovered his faith. He grew up as a Christian but um, really started getting on fire for the Lord. So we, so he started talking to me about Jesus and I always believed in uh, God but uh, Jesus was kind of my stumbling block. So we had many, many conversations uh, about God, about Jesus, and one day I, I just, he, he thanked me for the conversations and said that our conversations and my questions and my challenging him had really grown his faith and made him dig deeper into why he believes what he believes. When he said that, I realized that I was rejecting something that I didn't know much about. Um, I realized I didn't know really what was in the Bible. I knew very, very little and realized I was being a hypocrite um, and that if I was going to reject it, I should at least know what it was I was rejecting. So uh, I said I, I would go through the Bible with them. And so we started reading the Bible together at work. And one thing led to another. And a few months down the road, uh, after many more conversations and reading through the Bible and watching sermons, um, I came to Christ. He got me. Following Jesus in the way of love is always sacrificial. It's often painful. We need God's Spirit to give us the strength to love even when it's really hard. You know, the Spirit has given us a new opportunity to build a home where we can experience His power and be filled week after week with fresh strength to serve Him. Home Away From Home is our initiative to provide the necessary resources to be able to build a new place that our community and church can call home. It's a place where our friends, families, and neighbors will experience the freedom of the gospel and the strength of a vibrant church community. On the 10 and a half acres we own next door, we're planning a first phase that will allow us to double our capacity in terms of space and seating. We'll have an 800-seat flat floor auditorium for Sunday services, student ministry, and special events. Spacious kids' classrooms for babies, toddlers, preschoolers, and elementary kids, including a classroom specifically devoted to special needs kids and families. We'll have beautiful open spaces with grass, trees, picnic tables, and shade for adults to linger and kids to play. And at the front of the campus will be a big cross as a picture of our unapologetic love for Jesus Christ. To move forward on this project, we'll need to give $1.8 million over the next three years, over and above our regular giving. As we all give generously and sacrificially, this vision will become a reality. My hope for our community uh, is that they find uh, healing uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I see brokenness and I see sin on a daily basis with my job and uh, I think everybody does, all you have to do is look around. It's not hard to find brokenness, it's not hard to find sin. Um, and, and my hope for Redemption Gateway in that is that we would be, in our community, that we would be a place that people thought of for healing. So when they are struggling, when they are having sin issues, when um, they don't know where else to go, that we're enough of a... Um, a presence in our community that they think of us and they walk through our doors and ask for that help. Having a new building will be a tremendous asset as we seek to serve our community. But our deepest strength comes by being filled with God's Spirit and walking in that strength. 
My name is Dave, and Redemption Gateway is my home. Is that better? That's better. <laughs> okay. Love Dave's prayer and Dave's heart there to say, I want this to be a place of healing, a place where our community thinks of where they could experience a touch in their life that they really need. And, and that really is a lot of what we're doing and, and what we're talking about. So this is our third of four weeks. Next week will be our last a week of this series. And over the last few weeks, here's what we've talked about. We've talked about trying to build a house, but be a family that makes it a home. And in the first week, what we said was that Jesus is preparing an eternal home for everyone who trusts in him, that the church gets to be a preview of that home. And then last week, we looked at how what we really want to be are people who abide in Jesus. That's a fancy word to mean remain in, hold fast to, cling to, stay in connection with Jesus. And the way we do that is by loving one another. So as I think about kind of just where we are in the series and the kind of things we've been talking about and praying for, we have two problems. Here, here, here are the two problems. We are aiming first at impossibly high goals. And I don't mean the, the financial goals. I think that's possible. But it's impossible to think, how can we, as broken as we are, as sinful as we are, as many problems as we have, and all the busyness and all the other things that we ourselves deal with, how can we really love one another the way that Jesus loved us, which is what he'd said in John 15, we're to do? How can we really be a preview of, of the new heavens and the new earth? I mean, really? If you think about it, it's like, yeah, yeah, rah, rah, but that seems impossibly high of a goal. So that's one problem we have. The second is that we're trying to do it in an increasingly hostile culture, right? There's less and less warmth toward Christianity. There's less and less warmth toward Christians. And I don't know what you think about what happened this week with the election. Holy smokes, was it interesting. And wherever you are, if you're like thinking, well, the results of this mean Christianity's on the rise in America. No. I don't know that it's any worse, that it's any better. I, I, I'm not qualified to comment on that exactly, other than to say there's a trajectory our culture's going that is not warm toward the gospel. And so those are a few challenges we face. We're, we're calling ourselves, and, and God's calling us through his word to, to do some impossible things in a culture that is increasingly the away team. We're the away team. This is a road game. Now, here's what's interesting as I think about the disciples here receiving these words from Jesus. They found themselves having these exact two problems. These problems aren't new. These problems aren't, you know, now we're in America and this is what, no. These are the problems that come with being followers of Jesus. Is that Jesus is calling us to a life that seems impossible and he's calling us to live that way in a culture that isn't particularly warm to it. And so it's fascinating to think, okay, we're in the same predicament they are. What was Jesus' answer for them? So here's Jesus' answer in these passages, in John 15 and John 16. Jesus' first answer is, buckle up. It is going to get tougher. Notice Jesus at no point says, oh, no, 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 it'll, it'll be easy. He says, no, you're going to be in a place where you're tempted to feel troubled, you're tempted to feel stirred, you're tempted to feel shaken. You're going to have times where there's the pruning effect of your life and it's going to hurt, but you need to buckle up because it is going to get 
tougher. If you have your Bible, uh, look with me just a few verses before Juliana started reading, uh, back to chapter 15, verse 18. This is what Jesus has said just before the parts we read. In John 15, 18, Jesus says this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Right? He's going, hey, oh, oh, the world hates us. Jesus goes, and? Yeah, who do you think it started with? It started with me. They hated me before they hated you. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So Jesus here is saying, I know I'm calling you to really tough stuff, and I know that the world in a way is against you. You're right. Buckle up. It is going to get tougher. But then the second thing Jesus tells us, and this is the incredible encouragement that helps us deal with both of those problems, is that Jesus then says, and I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Spirit. In chapter 15, verse 26, this is where we started reading, it says, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Twice in this uh, whole discussion that Jesus has been having in, in chapters uh, 13 through 17, Jesus is called the Holy Spirit, the helper. In chapter 14, 26, he said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I've said to you. So here's what we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about being a home, being a family empowered by the Spirit. That's what we want to be. As we think about what it will look like to go into a new house, we want to be a home that is a taste of the eternal home. We want to be a home that is abiding and, and staying close to Jesus. And we want to be a home that is empowered to do what is otherwise impossible because of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're going to do today. Now, before we dive more into the, those scriptures, I want to give you a little bit, I actually have an update for you about where we're at in the process of uh, reaching our goal to construct this, uh, this new church facility. First um, Chronicles 29 is a passage that uh, describes the, the building of the temple. And what it describes there is that the leaders of the people were to have the opportunity to give first, right? As the speed of the leader, speed of the team kind of a thing. And so in 1 Chronicles 29, you can read about leaders going before and giving the first gifts uh, to the project of the temple being built. Well, we have done the same thing. We've tried to follow that pattern. And so we uh, had a gathering a few weeks ago and uh, have given our, our leaders, uh, our staff and our elders and a number of leadership families, an opportunity to give early, to make their first commitments and kind of follow that pattern. And I bet you'd be curious to know how that's gone. We're not at zero. This is awesome. Like, we're making progress. And here's what's so cool. Um, with this initial early commitments of our, of our leaders, and not all of them, but a number of our leaders, they have already committed just over a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So that's pretty cool. That's a great start. 
And so uh, that's, that's awesome. So we're a little more than halfway. I mean, how cool is that? Uh, next week is uh, our commitment day, and, and next week is the week we are going to invite the rest of you to join in with that and to be part of that. Uh, that that's a, I mean, gosh, to think we're over a million dollars, that's great. But I also think we still got 800 to go, and, uh, and I think that we can get there. Uh, this is a big God-sized goal. And if we all sacrifice and we all give, I think we'll have just some incredible things to celebrate. So uh, this uh, week, maybe you got it this week. If not, you, you'll get it this weekend or early next week. You should have in the mail gotten a letter from me along with um, an envelope uh, that doubles as a commitment card. And so uh, you'll, you'll get this in the mail and we'll have these for you next week. Um, but here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to finish your prayers as a family about what you intend to give to this project. And then I want you to come next week with your first initial gift as well as a commitment of what you'll give over the next three years. And you can fill this out when you get it. You can kind of get a, a sense there of what it looks like. There's a place for you to say, here's what I'm giving today. Here's what I'm pledging over the next three years. And here's kind of the total amount. And, and there's some instructions as you get it on how to follow that. And so I would love for you to do that. Bring it with you. And, uh, and we're going to have a special time to pray and to commit and to celebrate what God's going to do with that. Uh, so ne- that'll be next week. And uh, it should be a lot of fun to see what happens with that. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thanks for those hard conversations you're going to have. And uh, thanks for the commitments you'll make. And we'll trust the Lord with what he'll do. All right, so there's our update. Uh, Let's go back into this passage uh, this morning. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Yeah, I know I'm calling you to really tough stuff. I know the culture is not friendly to you. But I'm sending the helper. I'm sending the Spirit. Verse 26, when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. We're going to talk this morning uh, from this passage and a few others in the scriptures about the Spirit. If we're going to be a home empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, what does that mean? What is the significance of that? I, I think a lot of times people sort of think about the Holy Spirit as kind of the JV member of the Trinity. Nobody quite knows what to do with him or how to think about him. And so I want to help us, uh, help us think that through a little bit this morning. So Jesus here seems to be saying, hey, the coming of the Spirit is really good news. Don't freak out. Don't worry. Right? In chapter 14, in chapter 15, in chapter 16, all throughout this, he mentions the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the helper to you. He's, he's coming. He's on the way. This is good news. So the question I want to ask is why is the Spirit's coming good news? And uh, here's a few answers. The Spirit's coming is good news first because it means the kingdom of God is here. All right, I came in this morning and I saw back in the sound booth, uh, one of the guys had a red cup from Starbucks, which can only mean one thing. We're like four months from Christmas, <laughs> right? Okay, we're a little closer than that, right? But, but you see the red cup, you go, oh, peppermint mocha's in my future, oh baby, right? And here we go, like, like you just, it's like that is a sign of something that's happening, the holidays, Christmas. Well, the Spirit coming, some of us, we've been uh, so around Christianity that we go, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yeah, 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 yeah. You don't understand that what Jesus is saying here, it would blow their mind because The Spirit of God coming could only mean one thing, is that the kingdom of God is here. 
In Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, in Joel, there is passage after passage after passage that says that God will pour out his spirit, that God will give his spirit when the kingdom comes. And so this is good news. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to leave, and I know that's going to hurt, but my leaving doesn't mean the kingdom is leaving. In fact, I'm sending the Spirit, which is evidence that the kingdom is coming in even greater fullness. So Spirit's coming is good news because it means the kingdom of God is here. Second thing that it means, or the second reason it's good news, is because the Holy Spirit will give us power to bear witness. To bear witness. Look at what it says in verse, the end of verse 26. It says the, the Spirit will bear witness about me, about Jesus. He says, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says, listen, I know I'm calling you to live a life that feels impossible, but before you get all swept away and think that you need to be the savior of the world, let me just remind you that I'm sending the helper to you, not to help you save the world, but to just help you bear witness to the one who is saving the world. That's so significant. We're called to bear witness. That word is to testify. Notice, we're not called to convince the world about Jesus. We're not called to prove that Jesus lived and died and rose again. We're not called to save the world. We're not called to change the world. We are called simply to bear witness. There's a verse that hangs up in one of my friend's homes. It's from Acts 20, 24. It says, but I do not account, this is Paul saying this, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, listen, here's why I'm on planet earth, to testify to the grace of God. I'm not here to convince anybody. I can't prove anything to anyone. I can't change anyone. I can't save anyone. I can't do that. All I can do is be a witness, is say, I was dead and now I'm alive. I was lost and now I'm found That's what we do. That's what the church does. That's why we want to be a a church, as Dave said, in this community that has the chance. When when very few other people are bearing witness to the truth, we have a chance to do that. And the Holy Spirit is giving us the power to do it because, as it says in verse 26, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. The Holy Spirit is also testifying. Now, he's even more powerful than us. So the question is, what has God done for you? See, some of you, you think, oh, I can't really talk about my faith. I don't know that much. Right? I'd need to bone up on a few classes or I need to learn more. And uh, I would tell you, that would be great to do. It'd be great to listen to some stuff, read some stuff. There's more resources available than ever before. If you feel like, man, I need help with that. All of our pastors love it when people go, I want to learn the Bible better. Can you help me? We're like, hmm. Let me think. That's the only reason I work here. Yes, we'd love to help you with that, right? So we'd love to help you. We'd love to do that. But, but here's what this is saying. This is saying if God has worked in your life, do you know how you serve him? 
You know how you honor him? You know how you display him to the world? You just tell other people what he's done in your life. You may not know all the answers. You may not have all the theology. But if God's worked in your life, right? Like I can say I was a selfish, bratty, chameleon-like, duplicitous, fit into whatever I need to fit into. My parents are teachers, and I didn't want to be a bad kid, so I'm just going to be a good kid on the outside. But inside, my heart was dark and sick and ugly. And Jesus came into my life through his word. And he forgave me. And he cleansed me. And he opened my eyes, not just to his beauty, but to my sinfulness. And I thank God for it every day because it gives me more of an opportunity to confess more sin and to be able to tell people, I don't have all the answers. I'm not called to save you. I can't change the world, but I cannot deny that Jesus has changed my life. And if you're in the same spot, then awesome. The Holy Spirit has come to help you bear witness. Here's a third thing that the Spirit does that's good news, is he does the work of convicting. Right, so we bear witness, the Holy Spirit bears witness with us, but there's a, there's a place at which, right, if you kind of imagine like, uh, like two jets, right, two fighter jets, and we're flying along and we're both bearing witness. Holy Spirit's bearing witness, we're bearing witness. Witness, 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 look at what God's done. There's a point at which the Holy Spirit's like, all right, I got this now, and, and we go, and he keeps going. And that point is doing the work of convicting people of actually doing the saving, of actually doing the changing. He says, hey, hey, I don't need help here. I got this. Look in your Bible with me at chapter 16, verses seven and eight. This is a little after where we had read. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let's just pause there for a second. I don't know about you, I can't imagine anything that I want more than to see and be with Jesus physically. Wouldn't that be incredible? See what he actually looks like. What his laugh sounds like. To see the sparkle in his eyes when he smiles to see the things that move him to tears. Wouldn't that be amazing? Right, and that's what the disciples had. And they're understandably grieving. They're going, he's, he's going away from us. He's going to the cross, and then he's going to the Father's house. And, and yeah, there's all these promises, but ah. And Jesus says this, this is amazing. It is to your advantage that I go away. Guys, it's better for you, he says to the disciples, it's better for you that I leave because if I leave, then I send the helper and he comes to be with you. See, we have it all backwards. Yes, it would be amazing to see Jesus. But we don't really give enough thought to what is really happening in those of us who are followers of Christ, which is that the Holy Spirit is with us and in us. And what does he do? It says in verse 8 of chapter 16, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That is good news. 
right? You aren't the savior of the world. You just testify, but the Holy Spirit, he's the one that convicts of sin. He's the one that convicts of righteousness. He's the one that judges. He's the one that allows people to go, oh my gosh, I've heard this so many times, but now I get it. He's, a, he's allowed, he, there's this an amazing story yesterday at the men's breakfast, uh, this guy, Frank Sontag, uh, who's uh, friends with Dale Thackra, who's one of our pastors here. And uh, Frank told this story, just absolutely incredible. He was like the, one of the gurus in Southern California for the New Age movement. Spoke everywhere. And uh, he told the story about how uh, one, of, one of his good friends was Tracy Thackra, Dale's little brother, who had gotten in the New Age thing. Well, at some point, Dale led his brother Tracy to faith in Christ. He testified to Tracy about who God was and who Christ was, and the Holy Spirit convicted Tracy and led him to faith. And Tracy lived his faith in front of Frank for three years. And then Frank and Tracy and Dale all decided to go play golf. And they said at about the third hole, as Frank's lining up a putt, Dale shouts out, Frank, what's your problem with Jesus? Right? And it starts this conversation. And they have like a two and a half hour conversation after the ninth hole. And, and Dale's testifying about Jesus. Testifying that he's the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one can come to God but through him. Testifying to it. And, and Frank's going, no, I don't, I don't know. If it works for you, that's good. I'm glad it works for you. Great. And Dale said, but listen, here's what I want you to do. Before you get in your car and drive home today, would you meditate, right? Dale had entered his world. and He likes to meditate. He's new age. Would you meditate about this and ask God where you stand with him? And there, right, the Holy Spirit and Dale are witness, witness, witness. And that's the point. The Holy Spirit goes, all right, Dale, I got this. And Frank sits in his car and this heat comes over him and he hears a voice that says, will you submit to me? And then he hears, and he had never read a Bible in his life. He heard these words, pick up your cross and follow me. And a few months later, he opened up to Luke chapter 9, and he read, pick up your cross and follow me. And he said he fell on his face. Because God, the Spirit, was convicting him of sin and righteousness and judgment. And it changed his life. That's good news. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a people empowered by the Holy Spirit who realize the kingdom of God has come. It's not in its fullness. There's still so much hurt. There's still so much brokenness. There's so much, so much pain in this world. But the kingdom is here because the Spirit is here. And we testify with the power he gives us to the beauty of Jesus. And then he does the work to change lives. And we want to be a home that's empowered by him that way. So here's kind of our last question then. How do we experience the Holy Spirit? And there's so much more you could say about the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not, right, this is just one sermon. We're just looking at one thing. I mean, I, I, I can't talk about all of it. But, but how do we experience the Spirit? How do we experience the Spirit's power? Well, first, we have to receive the Spirit by trusting in Jesus. You receive the Spirit 
by trusting in Jesus. The, the Spirit doesn't come to you because you clean up your life. The Spirit doesn't come to you because you do a lot of good things. The Spirit doesn't come to you because you feel really bad about your sin. The Spirit comes to you, you receive the Spirit by trusting in Jesus, by saying, my good works can't do it, my positive feelings can't do it, I, my only hope is Jesus. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about this in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. He says, in him, in Jesus also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. In that chapter in Ephesians 1, Paul is just, just this is the end of like a really, really long run on sentence. We're saying all the things that happened in Christ. And he concludes it by saying, when you believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He's a guarantee. That's how you receive the Spirit. So that's how, that, that's how we experience the Holy Spirit. It's first we receive him by trusting in Christ. Listen. If you are trying to have your life change, if you're trying to have the power to be a good witness and you aren't trusting in Christ, you don't have the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the second way we experience the Holy Spirit. That's that initial receiving of the Holy Spirit. Then there's, then there's this that the Apostle Paul talks about a few chapters later in Ephesians, which is to be filled with the Spirit by remembering the word of Christ. To be filled with the Spirit by remembering the word of Christ. Um, here's, here's what he says in Ephesians 5.18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a lot of interesting things about that analogy, isn't there? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of anybody who's ever been drunk. But if you have ever known of anyone that's ever been drunk... Right? This is what he's saying. Don't get drunk with wine, but... And the commentators are like, can we say... Or the, the translators are like, can we say get drunk in the Spirit? <laughs> Probably not. So let's be filled. It's the same idea. Don't get drunk with wine. Get drunk with the Spirit. Okay, think about this analogy of drunkenness. What happens when you get drunk? How do you get drunk? Again, theoretically. You drink a lot, okay? Um, when you get drunk, are you just pretty much exactly the same person? No, you're, you're under the control. You're under the influence, right? Sometimes you're happy. Sometimes you're angry, right? That varies, but you're not yourself. Um, you get drunk. Are you still drunk 24 hours later? Hopefully not, right? <laughs> so when you get drunk and then you stop, right? So it wears off. That's interesting. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying consume, experience, drink a lot of the Spirit. And, and drink God's Holy Spirit in such a way that you're no longer yourself. You're under the influence of the Spirit. You're doing things you might not have the courage to do otherwise. You have a joy you don't really have otherwise. You're under the influence of the Spirit. And then how do you keep being filled with the Spirit? You, you have to keep drinking a lot of the Spirit. 
So this is, this is interesting. So he says you receive the Spirit when you believe in Jesus, but you are filled with the Spirit in an ongoing way. What does that mean? Well, the best analogy, uh, some of you have heard me talk about this, the best analogy that I know of is the analogy of chocolate milk. Any of you remember uh, after school, your kid, you'd want to make chocolate milk, right? And you go home and you get a big glass, you know, and you'd like to get a clear glass so you could really see all of it, right? And you get the glass and you pour it with the, you pour the milk in there and then you get the Hershey syrup, right? And you squeeze it and it just globs in there. Do you have chocolate milk? Not really. What do you have to do to get chocolate milk? You got to stir it up. And what happens if, you know, you make it and then mom tells you, hey, you got to go do this chore, you got to do this thing, and you go, okay, I'll put it in the fridge, and you put it in the fridge, and you kind of forget about it, and the next day you come back, after you've stirred it up the day before, but it sat in the fridge overnight, do you have chocolate milk? Hey, you got kind of dingy milk, but it isn't chocolate milk, right? And in order to get chocolate, you got to stir it back up again. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, when you believe in the Holy Spirit, it's as though the Father goes, Holy Spirit into your life. <laughs> and here he is. He's in you. But he's not, he's not yet permeating every part of you, right? That's what chocolate milk is. The chocolate is permeating all of the milk. It's flavoring all of it, right? The, the, the Holy Spirit's in you. You've received him by faith in Jesus. But what Paul now is saying is be filled with the Spirit. Have the Spirit permeate every part of your life. Well, how do you do that? You stir, stir it up. Okay, how do you stir up the Spirit? Well, the Apostle Paul, and you've got to track with me here. I did as best I could with the graphics to try to help you track this. Here's an amazing thing. There are two passages, and don't put them on the screen yet. There are two passages that Paul basically describes the exact same thing. But the first thing he says is a little bit different, and it's a really important clue as to how we are filled with the Spirit. So Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, which we uh, just started to look at, and Colossians 3, 16 and 17 begin really differently, but notice how they conclude. Ephesians 5 says, go ahead and put this up, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And Colossians 3.16 then says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then look at the description. So if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, look at what will happen. In Ephesians, he says, you'll be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In Colossians, he says, you'll be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Huh, that sounds similar. What's the next part? In Ephesians, he says, you'll be singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. In Colossians, he says, you'll have thankfulness in your heart to God. Then the next verse. In Ephesians, he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians, he says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you see? That's the same description. But in one, he said, be filled with the Spirit. And in the other, he said... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
And get this, when Paul talks about the word of Christ, faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. He's specifically talking about the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that Jesus has come and he's lived a a life in your place and he's died as a substitute on the cross and he is raised and he's ascended to his father and he's coming back to make all things new. That's the gospel. And, And the apostle Paul says Here's how you're filled with the Spirit. Here's how you stir up the Spirit in your life is you let the Word of Christ, the Gospel, dwell in you richly. Get this. He doesn't say, let the rules dwell in you richly. Let all the guilt dwell in you richly. It'll really motivate you. Let fear of all the bad things that will happen if you don't do this dwell in you richly. No. He says, let the word of Christ, let the good news, let the gospel dwell in you richly. As you think about the good news, as you remember what Christ has done for you, as you are filled with thanksgiving and gratitude and songs and melodies and praise, that's the Holy Spirit filling you. And now empowering you to live a life that's changed, a life that's new, a life that bears witness to him and lets him do the rest. So as we think about this as a church, this is why we preach the gospel over and over and over and over. Because we can't stop hearing the word of Christ. Because if we stop hearing the word of Christ, the spirit goes away too. We need the Spirit. This life is too hard. What you're going through right now is too hard. The debt you're trying to discipline yourself to pay off is too big. The the addiction that you're trying to break is too strong. The pain you're trying to get over is too deep. You can't do it alone. As we think about ourselves as a church, The mission God's called us to is too big. The number of people that don't want anything to do with God is too many. We can't do this apart from the Spirit of God. And we can't experience the fullness of the Spirit apart from the gospel of Jesus. That's why week after week after week we preach and we do what we're going to do in just a moment. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. We remember the gospel because it's in nourishing ourselves that way that we become a family that's empowered by the Spirit. Let's pray.